All right, this morning, if you've got your Bible this morning, turn over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 32 through 38. We're going to start right in the middle of something the Lord's doing, and then we're going to finish out this chapter in something that God wants in every one of us. He wants to know what do we, how do we see others as an obstacle or an opportunity? Is others an obstacle or an opportunity? How do you, how do you see others? You got the word there this morning, stand for the reading of the word. <clears throat> and this uh, verse 32 says, And they went out, as they went out, behold, they brought him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. 35 said, or verse 34 says, But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, A harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This morning we're going to look at obstacle or opportunity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, thank you that, Lord, you've seen us, God. You've seen us with such a love, with such, God, forgiveness and grace in our lives. Almighty God, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that, God, you have now given us, Lord, opportunities that we can represent you, that your spirit and power would go forth. And, God, that lives just like ours, God, would be brought into the kingdom. For Lord, there is people hurting. There is people that are needy. There is people that's lives are broken. And they're looking for you this morning. They don't know what they're looking for. But they're looking, does anybody care? Does anyone, Lord, can anybody help me? And God, the answer is you. Only you can do that work. God, I pray that you would let us see people differently. And God, that we'd make ourselves available to you, Lord, today. That God, we would be a vessel that you can use in Jesus' name, Lord, bless and move. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. I've got this question for you. Is people an obstacle or an opportunity? It depends how you look at them. In these verses that we just read, we finished this. We started this with a, in verse 32, Jesus has performed a miracle. And this, when it's talking about a dumb man, it's talking about someone whose tongue, they were unable to speak. They could not speak coherently to where anybody could understand them. And they, he may have never spoken a sentence in his life. But we see that if you look at Matthew, Matthew at the beginning of this chapter 9 has been called as one of the uh, disciples. God's called him. The Lord called him to be his disciple. And in his book here, he is giving you, as soon as he gets called immediately in his uh, 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 gospel that he's writing here, he's giving almost a, uh, uh, a jet tour of, of miracles. If you look at this 
chapter before, he's giving miracle after miracle after miracle that the Lord is performing. And it says, it shows here that this wasn't the only one, but first it shows that he healed a man that was paralyzed, was not able to walk, and he raised him up. And then almost immediately there was a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, and he healed her when she just touched him. And it was while he was going that this happened on the way to Jairus' house. To, his daughter was dead, and he raised her up. And then as soon as that's done with, that we see that two men that were blind came to him and wanted him to heal him. And he said, do you have faith I can do this? Yes, Lord, we believe you can. He said, so be it. And their eyes were open. And then we see finally in these verses that we read of this man who was unable to speak and the Lord touched him and he loosed his tongue and now this man was able to speak. And the, and the people said in this verse, it said, uh, <clears throat> and it said that they marveled and saying it was never so seen in Israel. We're seeing things we've never seen before. People's needs are being met like they've never been met before. And the word is going out of what Jesus is doing in people's lives. And here they come. Multitudes is coming and they're thronging him. And they're asking him for help. And I can hear them crying. And I can say, Lord, come and touch me. Someone else is pulling on him. Lord, please heal me. And he's hearing all these people with their needs. But we never search the scripture. And you're not going to see the Lord said, I'm tired of fooling with you all. I need some rest. And he needed rest. And sometimes he would have to slip away just to get a few moments or he'd be on a ship and he's going between an appointment from point A to point B and through the middle of the night he gets a little sleep and then what happens is disciples wakes him up because they need his help too. And so the Lord was someone who was always looking for opportunities to minister to people's needs. Thank God when I came down to the altar that night that the Lord wasn't too busy that he didn't see me. But he's seen me not as an obstacle, but he's seen me as an opportunity. And thank God he did the same thing for you. Amen. Thank God that he's still available today. And though these people were clamoring. And the, and the thing that, uh, that, was, that I was thinking in my mind is how many people was, because these are multitudes. These are thousands of people that are coming to him now. Hundreds and then thousands were coming at different times and wanting him to minister to them and meet their needs. And yet he was never weary. He kept meeting their needs. I was thinking about how, how it gets overwhelming sometimes. One of the most dramatic things we, in EMS, we have uh, drills to where we prepare for the bad events. And hopefully people are doing that because you don't wait until the bad disaster happens to be able to respond or you're in trouble because you're not prepared. And so I remember one that was really dramatic, and they did a very good job preparing for this, and it was, uh, it was hosted at the city fire department in London, and they, had, and they were simulating a bus wreck. And the bus wreck, there was people everywhere. So when we got there, they had people laying all inside the building, all out in the parking lot, and they were, uh, they were moulaged up with all these injuries. I mean, some of them were supposedly dead. Some of them were dying. And so your job when you get there is first to figure out who you can help and who you can't. And so to make it more traumatic on us, they had extra people like family members and bystanders there. And so it was realistic because not only did they look real, but they've got people pulling at you 
hollering, come help. And they were very realistic. They were screaming, come help my daughter, come help. And they're screaming top of their lungs. And they're, they're, she's bleeding and she's crying. And then somebody else is pulling on your pants. This way, help. You know, they're laying. So you got people all the way around you calling out for you to help. And it's overwhelming because you're thinking, who do I help first? What am I supposed to do? And I was thinking the Lord, how he must have felt like people were pulling him from every direction. Help me. Help me in thousands of voices. The good news is, is that God doesn't get weary with us. God can take care of all of us at one time. God's not limited like you and I. So I know that these people were calling on him. You know, the thing that amazes me when you read this in Scripture, these people had been under the care of these priests up to this point. These people, no doubt, when before coming to Christ, no doubt, was showing up at the temple and they were asking for help. They were in bondages. They were having knees. They had physical ailments. And we see that instead of these, um, these men supposedly who represented God, seeing that the people that they were not able to help and seeing that God was working through this man, Jesus Christ, and by trying to get them to Him, they became an obstacle to keep people from even coming to Him. In fact, we see here that when He started healing all these people, that they tried to discourage people from even going to Him. Instead of them looking at people's needs and saying, I know where your help can come from. I know someone who can help you in getting them to Him. They become an obstacle to resist what God was trying to do. I was thinking about, we know that Jairus' daughter, he was a man that was a high official in the, in the temple. And we know that God, did what Jesus did for him. I was thinking, how many of these priests right here had someone in their own home that was suffering, maybe even at the point of death? And yet when they looked at Jesus Christ, they said, you don't meet the mold that we think you should be in. And they said, I resist what you're trying to do. And they did not bring their family to him. I was thinking about how horrible it is that instead of them getting people to him, they tried to resist him. And they said, oh, he's casting out these devils through the prince of the devils, which Jesus in another place says that that, that logic doesn't even hold up. You see, if the devil cast out devils in his name, he's actually divided against himself and he's actually hurting his own self. So that doesn't even make sense. But we see that God was at, on the move and he was trying to move in these people. But we see that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, was trying to make him an obstacle. Instead of trying to help people, they're supposed to be the shepherd of these people. And yet they really didn't care. In fact, they seen Jesus as a threat because to their, to their prosperity, to their positions, and they resisted Him because all they're worried about is they want these people to follow them and to listen to them. And they added so many rules to the law that no one could ever live up to the standard that they had they'd set forth. They took God's law and they kept adding to it to make it impossible so that you could not live good enough. It's almost like the dark ages when the Word of God, they kept the Word of God not in a common man's language, but kept it in a language so that no one could understand it and they had to explain it to you so that you couldn't experience it. But that's not what was going on. Something has changed. 400 years, it's been quiet. It's been, in the, it's been dark and there's not been a, a move of God in 400 years and all of a sudden Jesus came on the scene and He's trying to do something. He's trying to show them you know, not only the obstacles, was not only was these religious leaders, do you know even Jesus' disciples was an obstacle for people coming to Him? We see that these they, that people was trying to bring their children 
to the Lord. Is that, did any of you ever take your children and give them and bring them in a service? I think it's a good thing. I don't think we've done that since I've been here, but we, I think it's scriptural to do that. Give your children to the Lord. Both of my children was brought in a service and, and, and had the pastor put his hands upon them and offered their life to the Lord. God, this is your vessel. This is your child that you've given us and now we're giving them back to you. And put your hand upon them and use them. And, and so these people were bringing their children to the Lord and saying, will you touch them? Would you put your hand upon them? And his disciples was trying to get rid of them, tell them, get your kids away. We see in Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16, says, and they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. He was angry. And he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say to you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them in his arms, and he put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. He's saying, let me tell you something. This is what heaven looks like. These children are innocent. These children trust me. These children want me to touch them. They come to me in innocence and they believe that I can do anything. And that's what I want to put my hands. I want you to come to me the same way is what he's saying. I want you to come to me the same way. And if you're going to make it into heaven, you're going to have to put your faith in me just like these children do. And he wanted to touch them and he wanted to bless them. And he want, thank God he wants to put his hands upon us. He wants to minister in our lives. But we don't want to be like the disciples. How many people in our lives do we know that needs God more than anything else? Are we an obstacle or do we see this as an opportunity that we use to let God work through us? Not only did these religious leaders become an obstacle, not only did the disciples become an obstacle, but even the crowd that was in need following Christ became an obstacle for other people who was calling out on Him. We see in Matthew 20, 29 through 34, talking about this, these blind men, it says, And they departed from Jericho, Jesus and His disciples. A great multitude followed Him. They were wanting to see what He would do. They were Most of those were just seeing what He was going to do. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now that offended some people because he was replying and insinuating he is the Messiah King that was to come. And some people just didn't want, look, you're just a bunch of beggars. You just sit over and be quiet. We're following him to see what he's going to do. Well, that's exactly what he did come to do. He can't. It, by the way, Jesus didn't do anything that he didn't have a plan already. He knew. He didn't end up at that Samaritan well unexpected. He didn't end up at this gate unexpected. He knew what he was going to He's God himself. And we see that. In, uh, and the multitude in verse 31 rebuked them because they should hold their peace. You need to be quiet. Who do you think you are? You're just a bunch of beggars. I gave you 50 cents yesterday. Just be quiet. And so with, how do we look at people that are needy and people that are hurting? And this, so we said that, that we see that they've seen them as an obstacle. You need to be quiet. You're hindering what we come to see. Not seeing that that's the very thing that God was coming to do. Yeah. They become an obstacle what God was going to do. And Jesus stood still. He, he reacts different than you and me. He sees people that some people see. Thank God when people see me as an obstacle. He seen me as an opportunity and he stood still. And he heard when I cried out on him. And he heard you when you cried out on him. And Jesus stood still. What a beautiful picture. And called them and said, what, what will ye that I should do unto you? 
And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. And so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. You're going to see that word pop up a time or two. He had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. He's seen this moment as an opportunity to show what God can do. Thank God that he, let me tell you something. Some people, agnostics, believe that God took this world that we live in and he wound it up and he was involved in making it and creating it and then he let it go and it's now spinning without his intervention and he's got no part in it. Let me tell you something, that's a total lie. Don't believe that. For one second, God is involved in every detail of your life. God wants to be involved in every decision of your life. Don't think that it doesn't matter, that God doesn't see and care because that's not the case. He came there to meet their needs. And other people seen them as obstacles, but thank God he's seen them as an opportunity. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't see those that were lost and hurting as an obstacle, but an opportunity to pour out God's love and God's mercy and grace upon them. So we're today we're going to look at four things that when Jesus saw these multitudes and crowds that were coming and thronging him, what he saw when he saw them, number one, he saw an opportunity for hope. He saw an opportunity for hope because there was no hope in their lives. We see in verse 35 it says, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom. We see that he's giving the good news. What is the good news? Hey, there's been 400 years and you've heard about the, that God's going to send a Messiah King to come and to, to be to live and to, and to sacrifice for you and to be salvation and God's going to come close. Well, guess what? I'm here and, the, and God has now come near you and God cares about you and God wants to be involved in your life. Amen. Not like these priests that would keep them out of the temple as much as they could. Some even some of the ailments that they had, they considered them unclean and they wouldn't even let them come into the temple. They weren't helping them. They weren't meeting their needs. They felt hopeless and they felt that there was nothing that was ever going to change. They didn't have level one trauma centers then. When you got hurt, like mom or dad or me or whatever, or some of you all, you were just up the creek. You just had to deal with it. You died or you got better. And if you got better, you still may have had lasting, long-term physical effects. And so people everywhere was being faced with these type of problems. Not only that, just like there is today, we don't, we don't really talk about it too much. But how many today believes, and all you got to do is look at CNN or some of these news channels, and you can see the headlines in the paper, the, the, the demonic spirits is running rampant, aren't they? We can see some of our cities that are filled with chaos and all this stuff that's going on. What's going on? Demonic spirits are running rampant and they are affecting people's lives. Sometimes we call some of the ailments that people have. Sometimes it's because they are being oppressed or even possessed by the enemy that's taking control of their lives. And they have no way to get uh, victory over that unless someone comes and brings them the good news of the gospel. And so Jesus looked at them and it says that he went and this was his standard. This is what he did over and over. We see it even uh, Matthew. This is chapter nine. If you look, we see almost verbatim in chapter four. This is what he says in chapter four and verse 23. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Same thing. This is Jesus. The way he responded when he seen those crowds, he went to where they were and he gave them the good news. Thank God we get the good news. 
that God loves us, that God wants to forgive us, that there is hope from that miserable state we find ourselves in. He wants to bring us hope. And so he proclaimed the good news to meet their spiritual needs. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't come and just say, you just got to stay where you are and you'll get out of this someday. No, he comes and says, I can change you from the inside out. And he brings us the good news that gives us hope that our lives can change. Let me tell you something. When he changed me, I was totally black. I was totally lost. I was totally covered with sins. Thank God that night when I left there, his hope filled my heart. And when I left, I was completely changed never to be that man. Man again. Never to go back to that man again. Now I can't say I never made a mistake. No. But every time he's there, he's helping. He's cleansing. He's drawing me closer. And I don't want to go back. I, that man's dead and he needs to stay dead. And, and so thank God he brought hope to these people. He brought hope. And it was so different than what these priests ever did. All they got up and did was give the law and let them know that they didn't meet up to it. But Jesus was different. This was so different because when he spoke, he came and said, here's what the law says. And you're insufficient. But I've come to give you life. I've come to give you the help that you've been looking for. You don't have to do it in your strength. But God's come so that he can give you his grace and mercy. By putting faith in God, all of a sudden God considers you clean. And God considers you uh, 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 done. And he sees his son's blood through you. And so he brought them hope. And when they heard Jesus' voice, it was like, this is so different than anything we've ever heard before. And all of a sudden hope rose up in their heart. That's how they started asking him. When he said to them, do you believe I can do it? Yes, they said, yes, we believe you can do it. Why? Because they'd heard what he said. They'd heard the word of God coming from him. And it was hope-filled. You ever heard someone preach like that? You ever heard the word of God to where all of a sudden you come in and you're dirty and unclean or maybe you're discouraged or whatever it is and all of a sudden you didn't think you could even make it that night and you got there and the word of God's going forth and all of a sudden you had hope come up. Well, Lord can take care of this situation I'm going through. Why? The Word of God gives hope. Amen. So he'd come, and the first thing he did every time, he offered them hope. You're not in this alone. I've come to give life and life more abundantly. We see he did something else. When he seen these crowds, he saw not only an opportunity for hope, he seen an opportunity for help. He didn't just leave them where they were. He didn't just give them the good news and said, now, you need to accept that. And by faith, just hobble over here. And by faith, take hold of that. And and that's wonderful. God done something in my spiritual life. But he didn't leave them that way. Why? He's God. He can do anything. Scripture says, by his stripes, we're healed, right? Some of you. Sometimes. No. We are. It's, it's, it's a perfect thing that God says, and I want to see it again, don't you? I, I, God's doing it. God's still healing. We have many testimonies of his mighty power. But we see he didn't leave them where they were. He met their physical needs. He met their physical needs. We see here first that he met their spiritual needs. Uh, he didn't just see them and tell them that they were wrong, but he helped them. And in fact, in that Matthew, when he's talking back uh, four or five chapters before, it says in verse 24, verse 4, So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. What's he doing? He's meeting their needs. 
Let me tell you something. In our lives, when we see what God can do, and we don't, just tell, we don't need to just tell people God can save you, but God can use us as vessels to meet their needs. If they're sick, we need to pray for them. We need to bring their needs to God. We need to get them in the house of God and anoint them. And it says, and the prayer of faith, well, save the sick and their sins are forgiven. He'll raise them up. He'll heal them. So God is still healing today. Amen. How many in here can testify to that? He's healed you before. How many can say, it's true, he's healed me. Amen. If he hasn't, he will. He will. So we see here that he met their spiritual need. And then he, we see that he also met physical needs. He healed everyone. By the way, he healed their physical needs. They brought him all their sick. They brought him all their diseases, and he healed them all. He healed them all. God, he meets people's needs. He meets, you know what else he did? He met their, he met their material needs too. Do you know that? And we see that Matthew also recorded this in chapter 14 and 15, two different times in two different chapters. Matthew records that the people came by the multitude, by the thousands, out in the middle of the wilderness, and they stayed with Jesus so long they were hungry, and they had no bread, they had nothing to eat. And what did Jesus do? The disciples, again, trying to be an obstacle, Lord, send them away. Let them go into the cities and get them something to eat. Get rid of them, Lord. We're ready to go take a nap. But the Lord said, you need to feed them. Well, how are we going to feed them? Well, are we going to feed them? Somebody with just about that much faith, maybe as Andrew, said, Lord, all we've got is this little boy, and he's got some fishes and loaves. Two, two fishes, five loaves, or five and two. I get them mixed up. But he's got this little lunch. He's got this Captain D's kids meal, and that's all we got, Lord. Out of this whole thing, thousands of people, and we got a Captain D's kids meal. And uh, I, went, I went to Long John Silver's last night, and they messed everything in my order up. I ended up with, it was like surprise lunch. You order one thing, and you get home, and everything's different. <laughs> Somebody, they had this Captain D's kids meal, and so he said, that's all I need. In fact, if they'd said, we ain't got nothing, zero, they ain't got nothing but this sand right here, he said, that's all I need. It doesn't yeah, matter. It don't matter. God, God created everything you see out of nothing. Yeah. All he's got to do is speak it, and it's done. But he took something they could see. And he took something small that they could wrap their minds around, and he kept breaking each time. And he fed the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. Had them sit down in these groups, and he made the disciples, the ones wanting to send them home. You go t hand it to them, and you keep coming back. And every time you come back, your eyes are going to get bigger because there's going to be more fish than when you left the last time, and he fed them all. And every time, there was leftovers. They eat till they was full. And every time, he met their physical need. He met their physical needs so much that they, they wanted to just follow him around all the time and just trust him. Well, you just keep feeding me and we'll keep following you. He didn't want them to do that. That wasn't what he came for. But he wanted them to know, you trust me. I, I see your needs and I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to meet your, I'm going to give you hope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you help. I'm going to meet your physical. I'm going to meet your spiritual. I'm going to meet your, your, your material needs. Amen. We see that he gave to their needs, and he met their needs. I, I remember the, I was amazed that the, uh, when they started doing some of these food programs and giving out this boxes of food that we've participated some in here, I remember the first one I seen was over at Calvary Baptist there in London. And I remember, I, it looked, I don't know what the deal, the word got out, I guess they put it on Facebook or something, and buddy, you couldn't get, that side of town was locked down, it looked like New York City traffic hour, people backed up, 
as far as the eye could see and went around corners and kept on going. I've never seen so many people lined up just to get their part of something for free. People have needs, don't they? Some people did and some people didn't, but people have needs. And they're looking for someone who can help meet their needs. And the question is, we know who the answer is. We know what they truly need. And yes, he can meet their physical needs. He can meet their material, but it's going to start. He's going to move in their spiritual life. And so God, and we don't want to just say, oh, God, you help them, Lord. We need to be that vessel God can use. Amen. So we see here that he saw an opportunity for hope, and he gave them the gospel. He's seen an opportunity for help, and he met their physical, their material, their spiritual needs. And then we see that he saw an opportunity for heart. His heart broke for them. This, this verse here, if you just read it in this English words, you won't really get the full meaning of it. Because it's such a powerful verse that he says. We read a minute ago. Remember I said compassion? Verse 36 talks more about that in more detail. It says, but when Jesus. So we already see that he's met. Before I read this, we already see that he's already met their physical needs. We can see that he's already met their spiritual needs. He's already been giving them the gospel. Then it goes into verse 36. This word but. This transition. says, but when he saw the multitudes, he looked at them. He's seen them different than everybody else. It says he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. This this word in the Greek here that's translated he was moved with compassion is only used in the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These gospels that are really closely linked together with a lot of the same exact stories and so forth. They use this word only here. And it's a word that talks about a strong emotion. It was almost an agony inside his heart that he felt when he seen these people. See, he didn't just see these people as an obstacle. His heart broke because he seen that this was an opportunity. That they were looking for what he could give them. They were looking for God. They weren't looking for anything else. They didn't know what they needed. They just come to the church. And the church didn't take care of them. And here they are. They're hurting and they're dying. And they're needy. And it says when he looked at him, his heart, just like he, that young man that came to him. And it says he looking at him, loved him and told him the truth. And when we see that when, and this is exactly the same word that's being used when he's talking about Lazarus. And he knows he's going to raise him. But when he sees the people crying over his closest, for one of his closest friends, Lazarus, and he's dead and he sees the emotion of the people around him and his friends, Martha and Mary, and their hearts broken, it says that he grieved, he groaned. He had such compassion for what, and he was getting ready to raise him, yet his humanity groaned within him because he seen the need. He's seen how people hurt, and he felt that. And it's, that's what we're seeing here. He looked at these multitudes that his disciples know looked at like, oh my goodness, we're never going home tonight. And Jesus looked at them with just compassion. It's almost like you could see tears welling up in his eyes. Because he's seen the true need that they were going through. And it says that he had, was moved with compassion on them. And because they fainted. This original language on the word fainted there actually said it was a word that meant were tired and laid down. Now, it's not really referring here. I don't believe that these multitudes were laying on the ground. But he looked and seen their spirit. And he's seen that they were at the last straw. 
they were at the last point. This is maybe the last opportunity that they're going to even try to get help. This was the last hope. They've went to the church. They've went to everywhere else. And they've been looking for the government. They've been looking everywhere in the world. And no one's able to help them. And they're looking, could maybe he could help me. And he sees their spirit is so weak, they're barely even moving. Their spiritual spirit is so weak that they are looking for help. And it says, and it's talking about that they're, uh, and having no shepherd. You know, it's talking about here that these, these men that were supposed to be looking out for them in this, these synagogues, that they were almost like wolves that were coming after them. And it was almost as sheep. When the wolves start circling the sheep, and they're so weary. This is the picture it paints. They're so weary that they see what's around them. They see that it's hopeless to even try to get away because they have no strength. And it's as if the sheep just lay down and give up. Have you ever felt that way in your spiritual soul? That you feel like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe before you got saved, you had no idea. You're going through it. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your, your finances is on the rocks. You're, you just want to give up. And we see that they were in this condition to where they were helpless and hopeless. And that's the way God saw them. That he had this chance to meet their need and to minister to them because they were, they were being harassed and they were giving up hope like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, don't let that be the case in our families' lives. Don't let that be the case in these people that we're praying in for because they are so vulnerable and the enemy is trying his best to cut. This is the way he works. You know how this is. He tries to cut you off from anybody. You, you come and pray and get and try to get moved toward God. He'll try to cut you off and have something happen to get you away from God so that he can discourage you and push you down and try to get you to end it all, doesn't he? We see that in, even in the culture that we live in, it's those that are most needy, those that are suffering the most, they are the ones that the enemy uses to create bondages and to take advantage of them. It's those that are the most needy. Let me give you some examples. The, the lottery system, I hope I'm not kicking one of your sacred cows there, but the lottery system was not devised to make rich people richer. Well, I guess it is because there's people on the inside that's probably doing pretty good with that. But the lottery system is made to take people who have very little and to take advantage of them, giving them a hope that they can spend a few dollars and get rich quick. But out of with well, the abundance of it all, only a few people ever do anything, and the rest of the people, they go without and get worse than they were the week before with the hope and a dream that they're gonna, this is going to be a help. This is even the government using a system to take those that are poor and to make them even more poor. Let me give you an example of this. I think I've told you this before. Let me, it, it was one of those early examples. I remember I was working my hostess route back then, and I was on my route, and that, that stuff just had taken off, and I was seeing it everywhere. <coughs> and the greatest example I've seen of it, and, and I was in another county. I'll just put it that way. It was not this county. It was not Laurel County. I was in a different county, and, and we were, uh, I was in a store, and I was working, minding my own business, and I was at the very front of the store, and I, that's where my rack was. I was working, and this this lady that came in looked like she didn't have that much. She had a little girl with her. And the little girl was, uh, was not real clean. And, and they were standing, and the little girl was bored out of her mind, standing next to her mommy. And the thing that got my attention was I seen this, this, this mother, this young mother, who I could tell didn't have a lot. And she pulled out three $20 bills and laid them down and says, give me 60 of them their lottery tickets. 
And I thought, do you, my goodness, $60. And that's, now this has been, this has been 30 years ago. So you can imagine what $60 would have been back then. So we, and so I was like, my goodness, what about $60? And so I kept working and going out and getting stuff, coming back in. And the whole time this thing caught my attention, a little girl kept grabbing her, grabbing her side of her pants saying, mommy, mommy, leave me alone. Mommy's busy. Leave me alone. And my heart was breaking for the little girl. And, uh. So the, the woman won a few things here, $5 here and $10. Every time she'd win, she'd say, give me 10 more, give me five more. Until the very end, the very end, I was leaving at the very moment that she had just lost it all. She kept using it, winning, until she lost it all. So now she didn't have much, and she hoped that that $60 was going to bring in a lot more money, and she walked out with zero now. Finally, the little girl got her attention. Mommy, mommy, mommy. What? She said. And as I walked out the door, I heard her say, Mommy, I'm hungry. Can I have a sandwich? And the mother said to her, said in this aggravated voice, Leave me alone. We don't have any money for any sandwich. I seen right then that the system was made to rob those who needed the money the most. So I hope I didn't kick your cow. Maybe it's a good thing I did. Let me go on. Let me get off on that one. Listen, this, the, we, the people get taken advantage. God wants us to see people differently. God wants us to see these, these people that were in this ride yesterday. God wants us to see them different. You get around them yesterday, and you've seen some of the things they were asking for. Some of them was like, hey, have you got any alcohol or something like that? They were asking crazy stuff to us, knowing we didn't have it. But I was sitting there, and you have conversation. You hear things come out of their mouth. You know they don't go to church. And we can look at them two different ways. We could be offended. Who do you think you are? I, hey, I'm the pastor of this church. Who you? you can think those kind of thoughts. But that's not the way the Lord said. That was an obstacle, I would have seen. But God seen them as an opportunity to, so that we can let them see God's glory and how God's changed us so that maybe today God's able to use what happened so that others are thinking about Him today when they go back to their city that they're from. They might not have thought of Him in a long time, but they was at least at one church yesterday that represented Him. And so that's just another opportunity. That's who the enemy wants to take advantage of. Hey, there's phone scammers taking advantage on the elderly, aren't they? They don't, have, they don't wait till you get too old. Come, they come after all of us. But let me tell you something. People are looking at those that are vulnerable, those that, are, that have the least, and they're trying to take advantage. Drug dealers prey on the young and those that are hurting, trying to get them a, an escape just a little longer from their problems. Just try this one time, and it'll give you a release for the next 24 hours. And the next thing they find, they're under a bondage and they can't get away from it. People prey on the people who are hurting and needy the most. That's something that I never thought we would see in America. That you hear in other countries, and surely this would never come to our land. Human trafficking is at an all-time high in America. We, are, we have stings going all over the country in California and different states where they're going in and undercover and they're rescuing hundreds of these children that is in this trade of, that's captives and they're, they, they are being used to benefit other people. People are hurting. People, and so we can look at it and say, well, thank God it's not my family. But it's somebody's face. Somebody's hurting. Someone's life is being destroyed. And if the only way we're ever going to see this end is when God's people stand up and God's people start praying and say, God, reveal the sin that's going on and push it out of our land. God, the only thing that's ever closes bars, the only thing that ever pushes people back the other way is when God's people start praying and revival comes to this land again and God opens the eyes and spotlights all this darkness to where people have to run for cover. 
But right now it's done in our open borders and we see it. It's growing left and right. And people and young ladies are in this trade because they're needy and they have nothing to take care of themselves and they're maybe runaways and they can't defend themselves and they can't provide for themselves and they find themselves in a lifestyle they never dreamed that they would be. They used to be in Sunday school when they were a small child and now they found themselves trapped in this lifestyle. Who cares? Who's going to pray? Is it just as long as it's not our family? Is that the way we look at it? Or are we like the Lord when He looks at them? We see you such, with such compassion that tears wells up on us. And we say, God, this cannot be. God, come against the enemy. God, come against the darkness and give them hope. And then minister to these people. We can't wait for people to come in these doors to minister to people. There's people out there that God needs to reveal. And I've been praying about that. God, show us some things that we can do. Show us what we can do. What's the greatest needs in this community so that we can extend ourselves, so that we can be a vessel, so that people can see hope. He went to where they were. Jesus went to where they were and gave them hope. Then he met their needs. And then he was able to bring them into the kingdom. So we see that he had a heart for them. And I've been praying, God, give me a heart like you have. God, give me a heart for you first. Give me a heart for you the way you want me to have. That's the first step because if we don't have a right heart with God, we'll never look at other people the way he looks at them. Then God, give me a heart for you all. And then give me a heart for the world the way he sees you. I love you all, but I know he loves you more than I do. And I want him to give me the love that he has. So that I see your lives and I feel your lives the way he does. And I'm praying for you. Let me tell you something. That's important. Let me not get, let me go too quickly past that. I promise. I'm about to, I've got one more point. I'm going to try to get to the end pretty quickly. But here's the deal. You're never going to do any of these things if you don't pray. The only way. You, if we sit around and say, God, whenever you change me, I'll do what you're asking me. It's going to start with prayer. God, you got to show me with my eyes what you want me to see. Give me a new heart that I feel what you want me to feel. Prepare me as a vessel so that you can use me and then send me. And I'll do it. And that's what he wants to do. But many of us, if we don't watch, we'll say, man, somebody needs to do something about that problem. It's, it's hurting a lot of people's lives. You know what? The reason God shows me and you those things, he wants me and you to be part of that solution. He wants us to start praying, first of all. If you're not coming, listen, you, we can get all tore up about all the things that's going. We can say that the, the jails are full of drug dealers and drug and people that's lives are wrecked, and they are. And their families are the ones that's the fallout from it. And it's unbelievable what their families are going through. I can't even imagine what they see. I can't imagine waking up a small child, can't even find anything to eat this morning because mom and dad's laying there, hung out with heroin, laying there, or, or meth, or whatever it is, and they're selling everything they've got. They'll sell the things that they kids need just so they can get another fix their lives are in bondage now we can look at them and say well they deserve what they get no they are in bondage and they can't help themselves it's not an excuse the devil has them in bondage but when we look at them we got to say god show me with your my eyes give me a heart for these people and it's going to start with prayer it's got to be god you've got to turn this situation around and he'll do it he wants us to see people different than he sees us last thing on this point i want to talk about is did you know suicide rates are at a 35 year high and they keep climbing and keep climbing and keep climbing i could not tell you i've told you this before and when i told you before the statistics are even higher i couldn't tell you how many times a day that we respond in laurel county to suicides couldn't tell you it's growing left and right 
If they haven't done it, they're thinking about it. They're trying it. They want, they're giving, they're hopeless. They're looking for these people that Jesus is describing here that it says that they are sitting there ready to lay down. That's where they're at. They're at the last straw. They're crying out, does anybody care about me? Does anybody, does it even matter anymore? They're looking. What are they looking for? It's not a fix. It's not more money. It's not a stimulus check. It's not another experience with someone else. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they're looking for. Well, how are they ever going to know about him unless we are the vessel God wants us to be to offer hope. And it starts with prayer. God will open your eyes to things you've never seen before if you let him pray. Amen. So we see here that when Jesus saw these multitudes and these hurting people, he's seen an opportunity for hope. He's seen an opportunity for help. He's seen an opportunity for his heart. And we see finally he's seen an opportunity for harvest. Harvest. What is harvest? Many of you know all about that. You've got fields you may have already set out. You've already started working on. And you're looking for a few months down the road. There's going to be a payday. Then things are going to come fully ready to harvest. And then you're going to bring in the crops. And then you've got to pray. But you have a limited time to do it, don't you? You have a limited time. You do all the work. But you've got to get it before it's too late. Or you'll lose the whole crop. We see here in verse 37 and 38. And it says, Then saith he unto his disciples, He's looking at these people. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore. What's he say do? Pray ye therefore. The Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In these verses, we see that the Lord's declared, number one, that the harvest is plenteous. He's saying, can you not see the need? Can you not see the lost. We live in a country with 330, 350 million people. And the vast majority, probably 90 some percent of those people don't know God. There's million upon million and million of people who thinks their lives are okay. Some of them this morning, they're on their last step. They're sitting there crying this very morning as we even talk about it. Saying, does anybody know? Is it worth taking another step? They're running out of hope. We see here that he's saying, look ahead. Look around you. The harvest is plentiful. It's everywhere you look. It's about to knock you down. What are you doing about it? It's what he's saying to them. He says that it's abundant. Also, and not only does he say it's abundant, but in John chapter 4, he says it's ready now. The harvest is ready now. It says in chapter 4, in verse 35, Say ye not... There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. When Jesus said this, he had just talked to this Samaritan woman who had to come to the well in the hottest part of the day when she was just about to die. It was so hot. You didn't come there at that time. You come in the cool of the morning. She's out there with a blazing sun coming down on her, covered up, carrying these heavy things of water to where she probably barely makes it back without passing out. Why? Because the lifestyle she's been living. Because she knew the ridicule. No one else wanted to be around her. So Jesus on purpose, shows up the moment that she's there so he can minister to her. When she discovers that he is the Messiah, 
She goes back to Samaria and she's telling everybody, come and see he who has told me everything about my life is not this the Messiah. And when Jesus is telling his disciples who's trying to offer him meat and he says, oh, I've already had meat. You don't know anything about it. They're thinking, where did he get meat? All he was doing was talking to a woman who fed him. And what Jesus was saying, he says, look. And he says this statement, and, this, and what is he talking about? Is he pointing at the fields? Because he just said that the harvest is four months away. So what's he talking about? When Jesus says this, he's looking, no doubt, at the Samaritan people are coming. The whole city is coming toward him. And he sees all the white robes. And he sees the white uh, 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 turbans around their head. And all of a sudden, all these robes and stuff's coming toward him to find out, is this the Messiah we've been looking for? And so Jesus looks at this harvest that's coming toward him and says, don't you say that it's four months into harvest, but I say and you lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Look at this group that's coming. They are white already to harvest. He's saying the mission field is coming to you. Do you see it? Do you see an obstacle? Or do you see an opportunity? And so today he's encouraging us this morning. But to reap the harvest, someone has to reap the harvest or to be lost, right? That's why he said there in that verse, pray ye therefore in verse 38, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You won't pray that prayer unless your heart's already changing. When you pray that prayer, it's because you see the lost. You see this harvest and you realize how important it is that we do our part. And so when you come to God with that prayer, it's a dangerous prayer. I just want you to know that. That's a dangerous prayer. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because the reason your heart's been stirred, the reason that you're praying, is because God's already got his finger to use you to do something. It could be great or small, but God's got his hand on many of you here today. In fact, I wouldn't doubt to say all of you. God's got his hand to do something. There is people that you can reach for him. I'll never meet one day of my life. I'll never speak one sentence to I, they won't even know who I am. I can't reach them. But you can. Who's praying for them? Those people that God has already put on your heart at work. Those people who's already coming to you and telling you their problems. Those people that you know that you don't. Maybe they aren't telling you anything, but you can see their life is shipwrecked and it's getting worse and worse. And you're troubled because you see what they're going through. Why do you think God showed you that? Why? Because he wants someone to be burdened for them. He wants someone to pray for them. He wants someone to be used that God would use him. He tells them in this verse, pray that God, the God, the Lord of the harvest, would send forth laborers into his harvest. The, 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 the harvest is ready to reap. It's already there. There is people this morning just waiting for someone to give them the good news. Will we walk away? Will we just say, God, send somebody else? I'll be glad. I'll, I'll pray. I don't want to be part of it, but I'll pray. But I don't want to be part. No, that's not what he, he wants us. But here's the thing. We get scared at this point because it's like, wait a minute. I'm backward. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm, scared. I'm too scared. I'm not, I can't get up and preach. I can't get up and sing like everybody else. I can't say anything. I just want to go to work. But let me tell you something. God will never, ever use you. He will never give you a task that he doesn't first prepare you to do. Moses said, I can't do it. Do you see this beach impediment I've got? God, I'm 80 years old. I can't do it. Send the young people. I can't do it. And God said, you're exactly who I can use. And he led 2 million people out of the promised land. I mean, to the promised land, out of Egypt. Why? Because it took God to help him, right? 
He was ready. He will not call you that he won't prepare. We see that. I want to read you one more verse, and we're going to close. He prepared. These men that he was showing this harvest, these men that he was trying to give them his heart. Let me tell you something. They never forgot what they saw. They're writing these things. When The reason you read it is that years later, that's what's on their heart. And they're writing what they seen him do. They didn't write this just as it happened. Years later, they wrote this way. And they were so perfectly put together. And you read every one of these Gospels, and you're going to see they see the heart that Jesus had for the lost. And it impacted them. And when he left, they became that heart. And we see that he didn't just tell them about it. He, they were the answer that he, was going to, that he was calling. He said, pray. And then it goes on chapter 10. Go look at that one verse at the beginning of the next chapter. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, what did he do? He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. God will empower you and me to do what he's asked us to do. He's asked us to bring in the heart. He's asked us to sow that good word. He's asked us to give people a hope. And to be a help to reach out to those and let them know God loves them. And then the harvest comes in and you get to receive part of that reward. And we get to see what God can do. He, he's already done the work. All we got to do is do our part. But he will never send you unless he prepares you. Right. He will never do that. Yeah. He wants you to pray. Yeah. And then he'll stir you and he'll prepare. So if you're too afraid, if you're saying, God, I can't do it. We need to pray more. Yeah. We need to seek him more. We need to say, God, I'll do it. If you'll, you ever do that? I say that sometimes. God, you, you, whatever you want me to do, you help me, I'll do it. Because I've learned, he will. He will. And I'm going to give you this last statement, and then we're going to pray. So it'll come. You, if you do what he tells you to do, if you, you, this is one thing, and some of you can tell, uh, can verify this. When you do that, and you make yourself available, and the door opens, and you know God's been preparing you. First thing's going to happen, your heart's going to be beating a little bit fast. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. But when you step through that door and you do what he's asked you to do, and you see what God does in other people's lives because something you said, it wasn't you. God said, don't prepare yourself. You don't have to get prepared and come up with 12 things to say to them. You just make yourself available. And when, I, when you need it, I'll, the Holy Spirit will give it to you. He'll say what he needs to say. And when you see God use you and people's lives are impacted by that, you walk away with that with your spirit will just be soaring because you'll say, God, that was awesome. That was awesome. I wasn't even afraid. God, you took me through that and you helped me. God, open another door. You'll find excitement building in your life. Don't let fear keep you from what God wants you to do. There is, there is multitudes every direction we look, even in this community, even at your job, they're looking for someone to represent him, to bring hope, to bring help, to bring heart, and to see the harvest. And he'll use you. Amen? Let's stand this morning. Let's stand this morning and bow our heads. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that God, it's true. God, that you look at, God, you look at, Lord, this, this hurting world. And God, there's more people hurting now than ever hurt before because, Lord, in this last year, there's been such a drawing back. There's been people, Lord, that used to be in your house that God is drawn back from you. And God, they're hurting and they need you. 
And God, they're letting fear fill their heart. Lord, that Lord, let the, the hearts and let our eyes be open so that we can see what you want us to do. God, don't let us miss what you want us to do. God, don't let us make excuses for what you want us to do. But God, let us be vessels that you can use. Because when you look at them, Lord, you see them just like you did in these verses. God, tears, no doubt, it wells up and saying, who's going to do it? Who is going to be a vessel I can use? Because you said the harvest is great. The harvest is plenteous. The harvest is now. But the laborers are few. Everyone's waiting for somebody else. And God, you want to use them this morning. And God, I pray that you do it. Don't let one of us say somebody else. Don't let one of us walk away and not see people the way you want us. Start right here with this preacher right here, God. You start right here. God, let me see the way you want me to see. God, give us opportunities to extend ourselves for you. That God, we don't see an obstacle in people. In their problems. But we see opportunity. That you can shine. And your glory can change lives. Not only their life. But their family tree. God we don't even see what you can do. Which is one change life. But you want to do it. You're prepared to do it. And that's the reason you came. Is to do it. And God I pray that you change us. And challenge us this morning. Challenge us God. Thank you for what you did in our life. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.